Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. This is a very special time of year on the Jewish calendar, as we are now full swing into the High Holy Days. I pray that these messages from our High Holy Days and Shabbat Shuvah services are a blessing to you, and our Maim Chaim Mishpucha want to wish you Lashana Tova. Avinu our Father and King, Father, we praise you and thank you for giving this opportunity to us to gather together on your holy Shabbat, on this day of rest, and a holy convocation to worship you, to rejoice in your presence, to experience the power and the might of your Ruach HaKodesh in our midst. Father, I pray today that you will speak directly and boldly into our hearts and our lives. Father, let it be your words that are spoken today. Let it be your heart that is felt and received. Let nothing of me be involved except that which you use for your glory, for your name's sake. Father, we pray that you speak boldly today and awaken our hearts during these yamin uh, narim, during these days of awe, this time of repentance in the, uh, the Hebrew calendar, in your biblical year, a time that you have set aside for us to focus on restoration in your presence. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. This week we are in Parsha Ve'elech, uh, Deuteronomy 31, Hosea 14, 2. Um, this is always an exciting time for me because uh, Parsha Ve'elech is actually my bar mitzvah Parsha. And Ve'elech is usually a double Parsha, so it's very rare that I get an opportunity to actually focus on my bar mitzvah Parsha because normally it's blended with another Parsha. Um, the other thing is that normally speaking... Um, and this year I was really blessed. Normally speaking, my birthday either follows on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. So then my Haftor Parsha, my, my Torah Parsha, Haftor Parsha for Vayelek gets shifted off a little bit and, uh, and things get a little more crazy in other directions. Um, but this year, Parsha Vayelech, uh is a standalone Parsha by itself. And I am excited to get to talk about it by itself uh, and to share with you what I feel the Lord has placed on my heart. Um, this week, uh, Shabbat, there are a number of uh, Shabbatot within the year that have special names. Um, some of them, like this week, deals particularly with the passage of Scripture that we read on this particular week. Others deal with things that have happened historically and in Scripture on those time periods. Today is called what's called Shabbat Shuvah. It's the Shabbat of return. Part of that reason is because on Shabbat Shuvah, we read from Hosea 14.2, we read from uh, um, Micah 7, we read from Joel 2, we read from these, these great passages um, in the prophets where God is calling his people to return back to him, to make Teshuvah, to stop what we're doing contrary to his will, to turn back around our hearts to him and to walk fervently in his ways. Um, and then I also believe that another reason why it's called Shabbat Shuvah is because it happens to be the week that falls between the two highest attended services in the Jewish calendar, and that is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, which are called the High Holy Days in traditional Judaism. Um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, for those that are familiar with Christ, uh, Christians who only go to service to church twice a year, it's usually like Easter and Christmas, right? Well, those are what we call two-year Christians. In Judaism, we have your two-year Jews. They only go to service on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, except for a large number of them will also show up on Shabbat Shuvah. And I think that the reason why they do so is because nobody wants to be seen by the rabbi on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, but not on that Shabbat, and then have to hear the rabbi on Yom Kippur say, where were you the other day? It was, um, so it's the Shabbat that everyone returns back to the synagogue, whether they want to be there or not. Um, so it's the Shabbat of return. 
But uh, that's, that's half-heartedly joking. Um, but the beauty of Shabbat Shuvah is, is this intense passage that we read in Hosea 14. Everybody, is everybody at least loosely familiar with the book of Hosea? Hosea is a, a, a brilliant prophecy from the Lord. Uh, he calls this, this man uh, named Hosea to be a prophet. Hosea is commanded to go in to marry a prostitute. Marries this prostitute, has a couple of children with her. She leaves him and goes back to prostitution again. And God says, I want you to go back and collect your bride and bring her home again. So he does. He goes and takes her and he brings her home again. And the, the whole image that God is giving in this discussion of uh, what he's doing through Hosea's life is he's using it as an image for Israel. And he says, look, I want you to now go to, to says Hosea, I want you now to go to the nation, go to Israel, go to my people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and tell them that you have been like prostitutes, that you have, I, I called you unto myself, I made you my bride. And Sinai, Mount Sinai, was a marriage ceremony between Israel and Hashem, Israel and the Lord. And as he made Israel his bride, he says, you have then gone off and prostituted yourself with false idols and, and false gods that, that you have not known, that your fathers have not known, that you made by your own hands and said, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. And he says, but that's not, that's not what it's supposed to be like. And he says, I am like Hosea, the husband who is readily there to draw you back. And Hosea 14, the closing chapter of the book of Hosea, is God crying out for Israel to return back to him. And it's a powerful image. And I think for us as a Messianic Jewish synagogue, it's a very powerful realization of what God has put the Messianic Jewish movement here for in this day and in this age. So with that said, if you'll open up your scriptures back to our Torah Parsha, Deuteronomy 30, I want to set some things up before we dive into the Haftar of Hosea 14. Deuteronomy 30 uh, verse 1, as I've said before, uh, 31 verse 1, as I've said before, Deuteronomy, I like to call the book that should have never been. If Israel had simply taken the promised land as God had commanded for them to do, we would not be in this situation, but instead the second generation is now preparing to go into the promised land, and Moses uh, ends up dying in the wilderness and unable to see the promised land. So verse 1 says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. He said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. Adonai has said to me, You are not to cross over this Jordan. Adonai, your God, he will cross over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you will dispossess them. Joshua will cross over before you, just as Adonai has promised. Adonai will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the Amorites, and to their land. When he destroyed them, Adonai will give them over to you, and you are to do to them according to all the mitzvot, the commandments that I have commanded you. Chazak, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble before them. For Adonai, your God, he is the one who goes with you. You will not fail. You are, uh, he will not fail you or abandon you. And then continuing to verse 7, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, Be strong, be courageous, for you are to go with this people into the land Adonai has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you are to enable them to inherit it. Adonai, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Do not fear or be courageous. Israel was called out of Egypt for a very specific and distinct purpose. God called Abraham out from the nations to develop a people from him. 
not because Abraham was special, not because the nation that would come forth from him were special, but because God called the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, out to be a light unto the nations. Or the Goim, a light unto the nations. He calls Israel out from Egypt, from slavery and bondage in Egypt, to go and to take the promised land. Not because there was something special about the ground, but because Jerusalem, the, what would become the capital of Israel, is the very place that God has chosen and selected for His presence to dwell in the midst of His creation. And so He calls Israel out not only to go and to take the promised land, but from the promised land, from the place where the presence of God resides among His people, He called Israel out to be Orlegoim, to be a light unto the nations, to take the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the nations. Well, this first generation was called to take the land, and we get to the shores of the, the, the Jordan River, and we send spies over, and we read about this in the book of Numbers, we send spies over, 10 of those spies come back with an evil report, and that first generation of Israel says, oh, well, we can't possibly do what God's asking us to do, these people will slaughter us. And so an entire nation, entire generation of this nation dies in the wilderness unable and unwilling to fulfill the calling and the purpose God has for their life. Unable to receive the blessings and the promises that God has in store for their life. But he raises a second generation. He raises a new generation, a new voice, a new image of this nation to stand forth and to take the promised land. And he raises a new leader among this nation, Yehoshua, Joshua, the son of Nun. He raises Joshua up to take the role of Moses as the leader of Israel and to lead the nation into the promised land. And here in Deuteronomy 31, we see this transition of, of leadership, the transition of authority of the nation of Israel from Moses to Joshua. As a matter of fact, later in Deuteronomy 31, Joshua and Moses both go in as God has asked them to do into the tent of meeting, into the tabernacle. The presence of God sits upon the tabernacle and Joshua is, is ordained, this michad, uh, is anointed as the new leader officially of Israel. And shortly thereafter, Moses climbs the mountain and dies upon the mountain in the wilderness, never to see the fullness of the promises and blessings that God had in store for the people of Israel in the promised land. This is a very huge concept to wrap our heads around. My people, the Jewish people, chose to turn our backs on the promises of God. But God did not fail us, nor did he forsake us. He raised up a new generation to take the charge of doing what God called the first generation to do and what they failed to do. And that generation crosses the Jordan River. The waters of the river part just like Israel experienced coming out of Egypt when the Yom Sof, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea parts. They cross on dry ground across the uh, river of the Jordan. They go into the promised land. God does all these miraculous things, brings major miraculous divine victories and warfare to this young nation. And ultimately, the land of promise is given to our people. And there's a, in Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29, we read about the blessings and curses. And, and God tells Israel, as long as you do everything I say, as long as you walk faithfully with me in covenant, all of these blessings, all these good things will happen. But should you turn your back on my word, should you turn your back on my covenant, all of these bad things will fall upon you. Right? And the bad things are just the exact opposite. It's a removal of the good things. Right? God says, I will uh, provide your harvest for you. I'll provide children for you. I'll make sure you never go hungry. These are all the blessings and the curses. He says, I will not provide a harvest for you. I will not let your grounds be wet with rain. I will not give you children. I will not. And so it's just the exact opposite. 
But Israel experiences them because we end up turning our back on him. We end up not doing, even though the second generation goes into the promised land and takes the land, we end up failing at the purpose of Israel, which is to be Orle Goim, to be a light unto the nations. Even in the calling to be Orle Goim, as we travel through the, the Torah, God commands Israel that we're not just to go into a city and rage war upon them, but instead we're to give them opportunity to become a part of Israel, to fold into the nation of Israel. Right? I mean, there's this image, if they're willing to, to renounce their sins, or they're willing to renounce their, their false deities, or they're willing to renounce their idolatry, they can fold in to Israel. Now, they'll have chores and things they have to do. In essence, they become indentured, but later those generations can be a part of the nation of Israel itself, just like Caleb, Caleb the Kenizzite, was one of the leaders of the tribe of Judah. Was not an Israelite, but he became a leader of the tribe of Judah. The nations become grafted in. Or they go in, the purpose to Israel was to draw the nations grafted into the promises of God. Because what he promises Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not something distinctly for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but for God's creation. And he calls the smallest nation of all the nations forth so that he can work with this one nation molding them into the image that he wants for his people so that the other nations around us will see his image in us and want what we have. And we failed miserably. And so as we look through the journeys of Israel in the promised land, one of the things we see is that we continually turn our back on Adonai. We continually fall prey to idols, to idolatry. As a matter of fact, before we even finish taking the land, it says that we fell short of taking the fullness of the land and we allowed people to stay. And some of those people were the Philistines. And those people resided in what's uh, known now as Gaza, the, the Gaza Strip. Uh, the Philistines resided there and they continually waged war on Israel, continually caused a problem for Israel. They continually became an issue for Israel. And even today, we're still battling that same issue. It's a different people using the same name, but in the same place. And it's a spiritual battle because our people did not fulfill what God had called us to do in the first place. And it's something that continues to, to, to haunt us. Hosea 14.2, moving forward into the Haftarah. Hosea 14.2, return, O Israel, to Adonai your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Iniquity is sin. It's, it's transgression of the, the commandments, transgression of God's word. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good so we may repay with offerings of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will never again say our God to the works of our hands. For, you, for with you orphans find mercy. And then continuing on, it says, and God will, uh, it says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger will turn away from them. Uh, I will be like dew for Israel. I will blossom uh, like a lily. He will blossom like a lily and thrust out his roots like Lebanon. His tender shoots will spread out. His beauty will be like an olive tree and his fragrance will be like the Lebanon. Those dwelling in his shadow will return. They will grow grain, bud like a vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. And so God says, return, O Israel, to your God. Shuvah Yisrael ad Adonai Eloheinu. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. He says, bring words with you, saying, forgive my iniquity, wash away my sins, forget my transgressions. And I'm paraphrasing slightly here, but he, this idea, bring words with you, it's not just haphazardly, oh, I, I lied, God, forgive me, and we go on about our life and keep doing the same thing. But God is calling us to make teshuvah. 
In Hebrew, the word teshuvah, which is where we get the concept of repentance from, literally means to stop dead in our tracks because we realize we're walking in the wrong direction, make a 180-degree turn, and return back to our Father in faithfulness. Doesn't sound like the repentance that we think of in the 21st century body of Messiah, does it? A repentance where we just haphazardly say a few words asking God to forgive us and continue to make the same mistakes or to make those mistakes even bigger and grander and more useless to the good that God has called us to be in his kingdom. The reason I'm saying all of this and the reason I'm honing in on this over and over again is because I believe that the nation of Israel has yet again, and by the nation of Israel I'm not speaking just those that live in Eretz Israel, but I'm speaking the Jewish people. I believe that for the past 2,000 years that my Jewish people have fallen short of receiving the fullness of the promises and the blessings that God has in store for his people. Because those promises and blessings didn't stop, stop with the uh, land of Israel itself, with Canaan, with the promised land. But instead, the promised land here on earth was merely a foreshadowing of the heaven, the new, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new Jerusalem that descend upon the earth, and the presence of God that resides within his tabernacle that was not built by human hands, the same tabernacle where the blood of the Pesach Seh of Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach's blood was poured out upon the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies in the heavenly tabernacle. Our people have fallen short of receiving and walking in the fullness of the blessings and calling that God has given us. Not only was the blessing and calling just in receiving the promises, but it was then in taking those promises and being an orlegoim, a light unto the nations. And we have failed at doing so because we denied that Yeshua was Messiah. See, we've been longing for so long for this victorious king, Melech Mashiach, to come that would end all suffering of the Jewish people and usher in a messianic era where we will never again have to worry about the things of this world getting in our way. But in order to long still today for that Melech Mashiach to come first, we have to ignore the fact that Scripture says time and time again that a suffering servant must first come. And he cannot come once all suffering has ended. My Jewish people have missed out on the fullness of the promises and blessings of God because we denied entrance into those promises just like we denied entrance in the book of Numbers. But what's beautiful is just like, just like the nation of Israel and the Torah, God has called forth a second generation to stand up and to boldly proclaim the truths, and to faithfully walk in the promises, and to boldly, chazach, chazach, be strong and courageous to take what God has given to us through the truth of the salvation of Messiah Yeshua. And because this second generation has arisen and has begun to proclaim with our voice the truth of God's salvation, not only to our Jewish people, but to the nations, we are seeing Jewish people today make teshuvah, return back to the Lord. See, this is important to me because as I said early on that this is my bar mitzvah at the anniversary of my bar mitzvah. This is my bar mitzvah parsha. And I believe fervently that our bar mitzvah parsha speaks directly into our calling, into what God has called and created us to be and what he has imp uh, put us into the body Messiah for. And I believe fervently that one of the things that the way this Parsha uh, relates to my calling 
is that God has called me to be a part of the next generation of my Jewish people standing firm in the truth of the salvation of Messiah, calling our people to make teshuvah, to return back to God through the blood atonement of Messiah. But not only is this my calling, this is the calling of the Messianic Jewish movement. Both Jew and non-Jew alike within the Messianic Jewish movement. See, for 1,700, 1,800 years now, the body of Messiah as a whole, the body of Messiah as a whole has completely dichotomized and segregated itself from everything Jewish. There's a major conflict there because you cannot truly understand the scriptures without Jewish context, mainly because it was written by Jews. And there's Jewish imagery and idioms and, uh, and so on throughout the text. And you cannot grasp it without having Jewish context. We can't understand the fullness of what Yeshua did for us, or rather the fullness of the imagery of what Yeshua did for us in the wine and in the bread if we're only doing communion once a week or once a month or whatever. We understand the fullness of what He did in the Jewish context of the Passover Seder, which is what He was observing when He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. By the way, it wasn't a loaf of bread. It was matzah. It was unleavened bread. So that, that nice, pretty painting that people love so much, the Last Supper with the giant loaf of bread, it's, it's not accurate. But that's exactly what we get when we remove the Jewish heritage, the Jewish imagery, the Jewish roots of what God has already instilled in His Word and in His body. But for the last hundred years, there has been a rising voice that we now know today as Messianic Judaism. A rising voice of Jewish believers who are not ashamed to say we are believers in the promised Jewish Messiah of Israel. We are Jewish people. We live Jewish lives in the midst of the Jewish people. And we are Ole Goyim. We are enlightened to the nations and non-Jews Gentiles, the nations are coming in. Your average Messianic synagogue is no more than about 30% Jewish. Typically somewhere between 10 and 30%. Every once in a while you run across a congregation in an area that has a lot more Jews and you have a higher percentage of Jews. But typically speaking, your average Messianic synagogue is no more than 30% Jewish. And the reason why is because we're not called to be a home for Jews. We are called to be a home of Jews who are Olegoim light to the nations so that the nations also return we are here to draw our people in teshuvah back to the lord through messiah as well as to draw the nations back to the lord through our messiah we are here to restore what god called the nation of israel to be in the first place if you'll turn in your scriptures to acts chapter 2 verse 37 Acts chapter 2, we know, is the passage where the Ruach HaKodesh was poured out upon, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the believers of the, the day. And Peter then goes and he preaches before all those that are there and shares about the truth of the salvation of Yeshua. Verse 37, speaking to Israel, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, Fellow brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as Adonai our God calls to himself. 
You know what is key to learning, understanding that last little phrase, as many as Adonai or God calls unto himself? The key to that is that God didn't select a few. This isn't the Marines. He didn't select the good, the few and the proud. He selected his creation. The idea that God has predestined for some to be saved and some to be lost is bogus. He's predestined for all to be saved because he created us all to be in his presence. We choose whether or not to accept that. As many as Adonai or God calls to himself has little to do with what God has done because he's called all. It has to do with how we respond. Peter says, repent. Let each one of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of sins and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit. And we go forward to uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on Torah. The man who does, not, does these things shall live by them, but the righteous based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not for the elect. This is for the creation. Jew and Gentile alike. The Jew is to be a light unto the nations. Orle Goim, the Gentile and the body of Messiah, is to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. We must work together for the good of God's kingdom. We must work together to see the people of God, those that he has created for his purposes, to make Teshuvah, to fulfill the prophecy and the calling of Hosea 14 to Shavayas Horal return O Israel to the Lord your God verse 14 of Romans 10 how then shall they call on the one in whom they have not trusted and how shall they trust in the one they have not heard of and how shall they hear without someone proclaiming and how shall they proclaim unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news and good things but not all heeded the good news for Isaiah says Adonai who has believed our report so faith comes from the hearing and hearing by the word of Messiah this correlates and connects to the great commission go therefore and make disciples tamudim of all nations it's a call to each of us what Paul is saying is how are people to find Messiah if those who know and carry Messiah do not bring him to them if those who know and carry Messiah do not look like him we are called to emulate Messiah, but if we look more like an emulation of the world than an emulation of Messiah, people will not see Messiah in us. We do not live in a day and age any longer where we can say, do as I say and, and hope they don't do as we do. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in a world where we can merely proclaim the truth of the gospel and hope that it bites into somebody's heart. We live in a day and age where people must see the presence of God in our lives. And the only way they will see that is when we truly make Teshuvah. These days of awe, these days of Yamim Naraim, the days of awe, this time of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the ten days of awe, are here for a very distinct purpose and they are ordained by God for us to return in repentance to Him. 
And you and I in a Messianic Jewish synagogue this morning, standing here today on this Shabbat Shuva, are a part of a fulfillment of a prophecy in which we are a second generation standing up just like that second generation of Israel in the wilderness preparing to take the promised land. We are a second generation of Jewish believers, Gentile believers who believe in the promised Jewish Messiah living among the Jewish people, honoring the customs, the traditions, the faith of the Jewish people, understanding that our salvation comes through the one and only Jewish Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, whose blood was poured out for our sins. And we stand as a second generation to take those promises and blessings not for ourselves, not for our sake, and not for our name, but for His glory, for His kingdom, for His name to be known among the nations. You've got to remember, every time Israel messed up and God said, okay, Moses, get out of the way, I'm just going to wipe them all out. What was Moses' response? But what are the nations going to think? What are the nations going to think? The Jewish people, the first generation, to deny the promises of God through the salvation of Messiah Yeshua. Open up an opportunity for what has become one of the greatest causations for a lack of Jewish salvation. Because we denied Messiah and we denied our role to carry the light of Messiah to the nations. And instead the nations took the light of Messiah and they completely segregated it from Judaism. And they made it something completely different, so far different and so far removed from Judaism that it became excusable to kill Jews in the name of this Jesus. And in such, it has caused for 1,700 years plus now for entire generations of Jewish people to continue to deny Messiah because there's no possible way that the Jewish Messiah could ordain that. Now this is not an accusation against all Christians, because it isn't all Christians, but it is an accusation against the entire body of Messiah, both Jew and non-Jew alike, because we allowed it to happen. We allowed it to happen. God gives us discernment through his Ruach HaKodesh so that this kind of garbage doesn't happen. But we are now a second generation standing up. We are the promised land generation standing up to lead not only the Jewish world to faith in Messiah, but to lead the nations in returning to the Jewish foundations of the promised Jewish Messiah and the faith of those foundations. You and I are part of the Joshua and Caleb generation. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. It is a day and time where we, as that Joshua and Caleb generation, taking over the reins of leading our people into the promises and blessings of God, stand firm and truly repent of our sins, of our errors, of our mistakes. Because I promise you, just look at the presidential race right now. People are going to see our mistakes before they see any good that we do. They're going to see our mistakes before they see any good we could do. We cannot carry the light of Messiah while also carrying the darkness of this world. It doesn't work that way. 
We are called to be a light that overtakes the darkness. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be a part of that generation. Not just because it's my bar mitzvah, Parsha, but because it is a reality of a greater calling and a greater intention and purpose that God has for this Messianic Jewish movement. Not just to see, and I truly believe this, not just to see our Jewish people come to faith, but see the body of Messiah fully awaken and fully realize the roots of our faith. Mark was telling me this morning, in closing, I'll say this, Mark was telling me this morning how he was um, watching some stuff online from uh, the Gateway Conference in Dallas at Gateway Church. And Robert Morris, the pastor there, was speaking and he was talking about basically the same concept, saying, look, we've, the, the roots of our faith is Judaism. The roots of our faith is first century Judaism and we have to return back to that understanding and that, that context. Things like his, saying things like his name is in Jesus, it's Yeshua. It is God saves or God's salvation. Things like it's important that we embrace our Jewish people, that we embrace the Jewish heritage of the faith of the Messiah, and that we embrace the Messianic Jewish movement. That's a church of roughly 36,000 people, five or six different campuses around the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm not particularly a megachurch fan, but the fact that a pastor of a church that large stood on the stage at his church and made those statements, it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty good showing of chutzpah, of courage. Because that's a kind of statement that can cause a church to quickly dwindle. 20 or 30 people. But I believe that the Lord is doing something this day and age where the body of Messiah is being awakened back to the roots of our faith and who we are. And we're no longer ashamed of it. We're no longer afraid of it. More and more people are open. I have questions, the people that stop me and ask me questions all the time about Messianic Judaism. Christians stop and ask me questions about Messianic Judaism all the time because they've, they've never understood it, they've never known it, they've never experienced it. And then when we start to talk in it, you can see that there's something clicking spiritually. The truth is connecting. The body of Messiah is returning. And we are a part of a generation, the second generation, that will get to see that return. That will get to see our people, both Jew and non-Jew, make teshuvah to the promises and the blessings of the Lord our God. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, Father, we thank you for your blessings, for your promises. We thank you for your salvation, for your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the fact that your truth reigns no matter what. We thank you for the fact that you love us and cherish, cherish us, that you have not forsaken us, that you have not turned away from us. We thank you that you are forever calling us back into your loving embrace. And Father, we thank you for this generation, for this day and age that we live in, in which we see the rise of the Messianic Jewish voice among the body of Messiah, becoming the head, not the tail. 
as we see the unification of Jew and non-Jew as one new man returning to the Jewishness of the faith. Father, this isn't a desire and a call for Gentiles to convert to Judaism or to start living Jewish lives or anything along those lines, but rather a reality that there is no faith in the promised Jewish Messiah without the realities of the Jewish people, the Jewish traditions, and the covenants made with the Jewish people. Abba, we worship you, we love you, we adore you, and we ask you to use us, not just this congregation, not just the individuals in this congregation, but the greater Messianic Jewish movement, to fulfill the call that you have given us, not just to see Jews return to Messiah, but to be Orle Goyim, a light unto the nations. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.